have your Bible, turn to Matthew 5, 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and then remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. In the the sentence immediately prior to where Sam started reading there, um, Jesus said something. It's been a week for us, if you were even here last week. Um, But we are in what's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's important to remember it's one sermon. So one thing, what we studied last week was just the previous sentence before what we read this week. And the last thing Jesus said before he goes into today's passage about, you know, you've heard it said, don't murder. And then he talks about some other things. Last thing he said was this, for I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's verse 20. I think we have to understand that sentence sort of controls the next six weeks. Because Jesus is going to describe a higher kind of righteousness. Now that sentence, unless your righteousness goes above, beyond that of the scribes and Pharisees, I think that would have been a terrifying sentence to Jesus' audience that day. Because the scribes and the Pharisees were seen as like the most righteous people literally on earth. The scribes were the experts in the Old Testament law. Nobody knew more about the Old Testament law than the scribes. The Pharisees were the, think of them as a religious slash political party. And they were the group that held to the the most stringent interpretation of the Old Testament law, the most conservative interpretation of the Old Testament law. These were the guys, you know, the Old Testament says we should tithe, we should give 10% of our income. It says more than that, but these were guys who then took that so literally they, Jesus will say later, they tithe their spices, like they tithe their dill and their basil and stuff. It's the only two spices I could think of. They, uh, they were so serious about the law. You know, the, 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 the Ten Commandments said that Israel couldn't do any work on Saturday. These were guys, they measured the amount of water they carried on Saturdays because they thought if they carried too much, they would be breaking the Sabbath. They fasted two days every week. And Jesus just said, if you're not more righteous than these dudes, you are not getting into the kingdom of heaven. I think it would have, something Jesus liked to do, bring his audience to a sense of helplessness. I think it would have been really scary. 
that to get into heaven, we have to have a righteousness greater than the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, a couple things have to be understood about that statement. First, the bad news is this. In order to get into the kingdom of heaven, the righteousness someone needs is a perfect kind of righteousness. You, you would need to be, to get into heaven based on how good you are, you would need to be not as good as the scribes and Pharisees. You would need to be as good as Jesus. Perfect. Sinless. That's why the Bible says over and over, there is no one righteous, not even one. And that we all fall short of God's standard of righteousness. That's the bad news. We're not good enough to get in. The good news is, what happened at the cross of Christ is that the punishment for the sin of mankind went on him. And then God says this amazing thing. If we believe on him, Paul lays this out best in the book of Romans. He says, when we believe on him, uh, our sin went on him. And then God takes our, his righteousness and puts it on us. So that legally, we are no, no longer guilty of any of our sin. Legally, we're, we're let off scot-free. We are guilty, but there's no punishment left for us because the punishment was poured out on him. I say all the time, the best we can hope for from a cosmic perspective is to be O.J. Simpson, to be guilty, but be declared not guilty. That's the good news. So, In one sense, when Jesus says, if you don't have a righteousness that's better than the scribes and Pharisees, you're not getting in. The good news is, through faith in Christ, we get His righteousness imputed to us, which is a much greater, higher righteousness than the best Pharisee ever achieved, who was trying to obey his way into heaven. But, however, for the next six weeks, Jesus is going to be outlining a kind of righteousness he expects from those of us who would follow him. And it is his righteousness working its way out in us in a way that is higher and harder than what the Pharisees used to do. Our, our obedience, our righteousness won't look like theirs. We will do different things But Jesus calls us to a a higher kind of righteousness. And it's more difficult even than what they did. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees, in their interpretation of the law, they were wrong in their interpretation of the law, but here's what they thought. They thought God's law does not care about your motives, about your attitudes, about What's in your heart, the condition, the position of your heart, it only matters outwardly what you do. So as long as I can keep myself from doing this or that, I'm innocent. And Jesus is going to say, no, I care about what's in your heart. For the next six weeks, Jesus is going to say, you've always heard this. Some of these are going to be Ten Commandment things. But I'm going to tell you something different than you've been taught in thousands of years of Israel's history. 
Jesus is going to sort of become the editor-in-chief of the Old Testament. He's not going to change any of the Old Testament commandments. Really, what he's going to say is, he's going to say, here was the purpose all along that you've missed. And Jesus is going to say, I want from you and for you a righteousness that doesn't just concern itself with outward stuff, but what's right in here, which means this. It's no longer good enough, Jesus says, for you to say, oh, I just got to keep myself from doing this or that, and I'm innocent. Jesus, no, no, no. It's not that it's a bad thing that you keep what's in your heart from always coming out. But Jesus says, I want to address what's in your heart. What's really in there matters. And the first item that's in our hearts that Jesus wants to talk about is anger. And I know the Bible talks about a kind of anger that's not sinful. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus it's. Jesus is talking about a, a settled sort of anger that we hang on to and let stew in our hearts. It is never right for you or for me to hang on to anger. You know that? Anger doesn't store well, right? It's like sushi. Right? You don't want to keep that stuff around very long. It, it tends to grow stuff that's not good for us. When anger is stored in our hearts, it tends to turn into things like bitterness, wrath, envy, jealousy, um, hate, resentment, and things like that. And so here's what Jesus will be saying today. You thought the only person that was guilty was somebody who actually killed someone. Jesus says, I want to talk about the ingredients or the seeds of the murder, of the murders that you know of that have been committed. You know why murders take place? Because people had hatred, anger, bitterness, envy, jealousy that turned to wrath in their heart and suddenly... They did the unthinkable. Jesus wants us to address these things while they're still seeds. You remember Ann Landers? If you're of a certain age, I know if you're at least, if you're my age or older, I don't know how young you can be, but Ask Ann Landers was in like every paper in the country. And Ann Landers, I read this a couple of weeks ago. She wrote this about hate, And I think it's applicable to any of these seeds of anger or seeds of murder that we'll talk about today. She said this, hate is like acid. It can damage the vessel in which it's stored as well as destroy the object on which it's poured. Hate, anger, resentment, bitterness, all of these things are like acid. They damage the vessel in which it's stored as well as destroying the object on which it is poured. Jesus cares about your heart and what's in it. And where there's stuff in there that damages your, the vessel of your heart, 
He wants that out of there before it becomes any kind of action. All right, Jesus is going to sort of edit, at least edit the understood idea of the command, uh, the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder. He does it this way. He says, you've heard it said to an older generation, do not murder. And so you thought the, the people who murder someone are the ones who've broken this commandment and are guilty and deserve judgment. Verse 22, Jesus says, but I say to you, anyone who remains in this settled anger, they're guilty too. And he says, anybody who insults a brother, your translation might say, says the word raka, is an Aramaic word, uh, which is, that was just like a pseudo curse word insult. That's why this translation says that if you insult, because that anger might lead you to insult someone. If you call your brother a fool, that makes you guilty enough to be deserving of hell. Now, Jesus doesn't do away with the sixth commandment. Turns out God's still very much against murder. Nor does he say that carrying anger in your heart is the same thing as a physical murder. He doesn't. But he wants us to know that carrying around these things, festering anger, bitterness, hatred, and the like, it's sinful. It's wrong. And it's enough to leave us deserving of judgment. Praise God, if I'm a believer in Jesus, I won't have to pay for that guilt. I won't have to pay that hell I deserve. He went through the hell I deserved. Amen? But listen, carrying that stuff around still sin. And he wants us to, to rid our hearts of it. He wants to help us rid our hearts of it. Jesus desires a higher standard of righteousness. Heart level. He doesn't want you walking around with murder seeds in your heart anymore. With the ingredients of a murder. There's a couple of really dangerous lines of thinking that we tend to do with sin or potential sin. They go like this. Oh, I could never do that. I'll stop before I get that far. And if you don't think it applies this week, wait till next week. You know how many people are sitting in prison right now today who thought that they thought, I, would, I will stop myself before I commit some crazy, violent crime. And there they are. You know where they went wrong? Not just they didn't stop themselves from that murder, from that assault, from that whatever. They carried these things around in their heart. They had a heart that was so full of anger and, and rage and bitterness and jealousy. And, uh, and then before long, what, just the right situation and boom. The unthinkable happened. And the point of this sermon is not for me to warn you that I think you're going to murder someone. Please don't hear that. The point is, it doesn't matter. It matters if you kill someone, okay? It doesn't matter in that as long as you keep yourself from doing that or going too far, you're innocent. No, Jesus says, why are you carrying around the seeds? 
Why are you carrying around the ingredients of that sort of thing? He wants us to get rid of it. Now, let me ask you, why do? I don't even have to ask if you do. Why do you carry around anger and hatred and bitterness and envy and resentment? Why do you carry those around? I'm going to give you a second to think about your answer. Let me see if this sounds familiar. Because we always feel justified in feeling that way towards someone who really has done something wrong. When someone really has hurt us, hurt my family, they've done something that I know is wrong, doesn't it feel like they deserve for us to feel that way about them? You should be nodding your head yes, because it feels that way. Doesn't it feel like somebody does something bad toward me, toward my kids, and that person deserves for me to feel like this about them? It's like I'm carrying around the punishment they deserve for their sin. Here's the problem. That Ann Landers was on to something. I'm 95% of the time, I'm not even hurting that person when I carry that stuff around in my heart. That acid eats up my vessel. And that stuff takes control of a heart to where I no longer can control how I feel in a given situation. When somebody else hurts me in a way that even smells like the way that person did something, I'll turn them into a bad guy very quickly. Because I don't control my heart anymore. The seeds of murder have sprouted and they're rooting in. Another thing that's wrong with me carrying this stuff around, the only reason I carry around anger, and I do, the only reason I do it is because someday, when I have the right conversation, this guy's going to get it. I've got, I keep this list of everything this person's done so that when the right thing and the right time, man, I'm going to let him, right? The only reason to carry around anger is for vengeance. And the Bible's really clear that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It's, God, it's God's job to punish, to punish wrongdoers. And then he gave that authority to civic leaders, to, to, the, to the governing authorities, punish wrongdoers. Never individuals. You know that? So literally... When I carry around these murder seeds in my heart that eat my heart up, it's, it is exactly like I'm saying this to God. I cannot trust you to punish this person the way they deserve it. You are a God of grace. I can't trust you to do what's right in this situation, so God, you're going to have to step aside and let me handle this one. Because you might be nice. You don't say it that way. But it's true. It's not good for us. 
and it's sin, and those seeds one day will sprout. And so Jesus in this passage gives us some, some examples, not every example, but some examples of what it might look like when our murder seeds begin to bear fruit. It might be saying mean things. He gives us a couple of examples of this. You might say raka, which is that insult. You might call someone a fool. There might be distance between you and somebody in your religious group. If you see them at the, you know, you go to the altar and you realize, man, I've got something against my brother. You might find yourself in court. You might wind up actually committing the murder. But please don't approach this like... Here's how I've heard this taught before. We need to figure out what that raka means and what you fool means so we can make sure we avoid saying those things. That's not Jesus' point. Um, Jesus is presenting an impossible legal principle. He is taking the Old Testament law and basically going, oh, you thought that was hard? Wait till I tell you the actual purpose behind it. I don't want you even angry when someone sins against you. I don't even want you to carry around bitterness and resentment, even though they really were wrong. Don't approach this as, all right, I've got to figure out what he says don't do so I can avoid that so I'll be innocent. Jesus' point is, all right, the point is not, don't do this stuff and you'll be innocent. Jesus' point is, you definitely do this. You do this. I do this. Everyone but Jesus has done this. You are wronged, and someday, at some point you realize, man, I am carrying around. Every time this person's name is mentioned, I chafe the hairs on the back of my neck, stand up. I, I'm carrying this around. Jesus says, please don't. You're guilty. What are you going to do with your guilt? Jesus says, stop congratulating yourself that you can keep what's in your heart from boiling out into your mouth and your words, that you can keep from actually assaulting that person, that you can grit your teeth and keep the words from coming out and think, boy, now I'm innocent because look what I didn't do. Jesus said, I can see your heart. I can see your heart. And he's not going to say, so go ahead and do what's in your heart. He's let's talk, let's fix your heart. So that's what he's going to talk about in verses 23 through 26. What our response is when we are willing to realize our own guilt. When we see that, uh, that, that we're carrying this stuff around, we can't avoid the guilt he described in verses 21 and 22 by never being angry when we're hurt, when we're wronged, when someone sins against us. Ain't happening. Me pretending it's not in there doesn't make me innocent of it. 
Me giving the thousand reason list why I deserve to feel that way about that person. And if you just understood how terrible they are, you'd get off my back and stop telling me how to feel. By the way, I'm not on your back and I'm not telling you. But the Lord is asking you to take a look at what's in your heart. So how do we deal biblically with unresolved anger that maybe has turned into ang- to, to hatred, resentment, bitterness, envy, resentment? He's going to give us two examples. Three, really. They're all the same example. <laughs> the example is, go, or the, the lesson is this, go and be reconciled with the person, especially if it's a believer. Go and be reconciled with that person and get rid of that anger that's between you. It says it this way, verse 23, So then, because you're guilty, (laughs) if you bring your gift to the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled. There's a command. Go. Second command. Be reconciled to your brother, and then come back. And give your gift at the altar. All right. Now, when Jesus was alive, the temple was up and operating. People brought animal sacrifices, all that sort of thing. That's what he's talking about. Did Jesus want people in to go to the temple? Yes. Does people? Does Jesus want people to go to church? Yes. Does, does, did Jesus want people to give? Yes. Does, people, does Jesus today want people to give? Yes. Which does he care more about? Church attendance, religious rituals, giving, or reconciling to a brother or sister where there's something in between our relationship. That's the point. And I want you to know how striking this would have been to Jesus' original audience. Do you remember, anybody remember where Jesus was when he was talking, when he was giving this sermon? Jesus was out in a place called Galilee. And Galilee is... uh, top center of that map, right? To even get to Jerusalem to give an offering, someone would have had to walk through Samaria, or if you're a good Jew, walk around Samaria, into Judea, and that's where Jerusalem was. So literally, here's what Jesus is saying. Let's say, here's how serious I am about you reconciling to your brother or your sister. Let's say you take your offering. So it's a, it's a ram, it's a bull, it's a goat. Uh, and you take that little traveling circus and you march all you walk days and days and days and days. And you finally get to Judea. You finally get to Jerusalem. You get all the way up to the, in the Temple Mount. You get to be first in line. And that's where you realize, oh man, David's got, me and David aren't cool right now. There's something, David said, Jesus says, tie your goat up, leave it there, walk all the way back into Galilee, and sit down with David. You know what his original audience would have thought? Don't give the offering. That's what deals with my guilt. That's how I take care of my sin guilt, is through that offering. Jesus says, new rule. You want to take care of your sin guilt? Go sit down with David. Get rid of that stuff in your heart. Oops, 
Can you back me up one slide there, Sammy? Thank you. Now, don't miss, don't, also don't miss where the initiative is in this. So then you bring your gift to the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you. You know what that means? You don't even have to be the one with the problem. You just have to be the one that realizes there is a problem. He doesn't say the one who's the wrongest has to come to one to the, who's the rightest and initiate this. He said, when you realize it, you go. Part of this is, keep using me and David. If I know David has something against me, there's distance in our relationship, there's gunk there. Maybe I've forgiven David in my heart and I really don't have seeds of murder in my heart. I'm supposed to care enough about his heart that I go sit down with him and say, Dave, there's stuff between us here. And I care enough about us and about you that I want that out of there because I don't want that acid eating up your heart. Can I help you with that? You know, it's not the way we normally operate, right? We, we get way more caught up in who is the rightest and who is the wrongest. Like, this, this isn't court. Right? We're always building our case. So that if I ever do sit down with that person that I have something, I've got a longer list of complaints than he does. And you know what? David, in our example, he might have been wronger than me. But that's not the standard here. You know what Jesus said? Is there anger in either one of your hearts? Then the goal is getting rid of that. You know, one person who was in attendance that day during that sermon was the disciple John, one of the fishermen that Jesus invited at the beginning of this book. Later, he wrote 1 John chapter 3. He, he, the same concept, he writes it again. And he says, there in 1 John 3, he said, everyone who hates his brother or sister is a, what? Is a murderer. <laughs> he just says it that way. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. How can that be true? I'm glad you asked. In the Bible, what is, what's death in the Bible? Is my death when I cease to exist? Death is a separation. My physical death will be the day that my spirit separates from my body. Um, spiritual death is when somebody spiritually is separated from God. They're still in their sin guilt. Eternal death will, will be when someone remains in that sin guilt separated from God forever. That's why the opposite of that, eternal life, Jesus defined it this way, that they may have eternal life and that is, Father, that they may know you and Jesus, the Christ whom you have sent. That's eternal life, knowing God, knowing Jesus Christ. Because when you know Jesus Christ as Savior, you'll never be separated from God ever, ever, ever again. And that's eternal life. Okay, so if death is separation, now tell me why you are a murderer when you carry around these murder seeds in your heart, whether you kill somebody or not. Because you're carrying around the ingredients for separation. And that's death. That is how death seeps in to our relationships. And we have an enemy who loves it. 
who wants you to feel justified for hanging on to all that stuff because he knows it's the only way he can get death in here where there shouldn't be anything but eternal life. He can get temporary death seeped in to a group of people facing eternal life. That's why Jesus is deathly serious about this. Go and be reconciled with your brother. He says, you know what will happen if you don't? Last example. He says, reach agreement quickly with your accuser while you're on the way to court. Or he may hand you over to the judge and the judge will hand you over to the warden and you'll be thrown into prison and I tell you the truth, it's really hard to get out of that dungeon. He is not giving us the how-to if you find yourself being sued. I'm not saying that the, the, this concept isn't a good one to settle out of court. Here's what he's saying. You're all on the way to court. You are all on the way to, to stand in front of the judge and you don't know when you're going to get there. Make a habit of reconciling when. Read the first three words of the verse again. Quickly. 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 Otherwise, you're going to wind up in prison. That's not hell for all of eternity. You know what it is? Having a heart that's full of this acid that has lost control of the way it feels. Here's the way it works. I make the habit of not forgiving. I make the habit of not reconciling. And the acid grows and grows and grows until before long I got a heart so full of it that I can't really be very close to people. I get very isolated because I'll turn them into a bad guy very quickly as soon as the first hint of hurt comes. And, And you know who cannot control a heart like that? Jesus. I, I came to set you free from that. You know, if that describes you, it's like every time uh, I get a little bit close to somebody, they do something dumb, and uh, I just got—I got to give everybody this, this stiff arms. Like, how's how's the food in prison? Because <laughs> that's where you are. I can't help the things I say. I got this, the list of people that I get angry every time I hear their name grows and grows and grows and grows. And like half this town, I just, I can't stand them anymore. Like, how's the food in prison? It's been well said. I love this saying. I don't know who said it. The man who refuses to forgive burns the bridge over which he can walk to freedom. The person who refuses to forgive burns the bridge over which he can walk to freedom. And Jesus says, do this quickly. Because it gets harder and harder and harder to do this. It doesn't get impossible, but it gets harder and harder and harder the longer that wedge is allowed to grow. Until you get to the point where Maybe you're about to graduate high school. Or maybe you're 30 years old, you're 40 years old, you're 50 years old, you're 60, you're 70, you're 80. And you can't remember the last time you went to somebody and sat down and said, man, there's something between us that I don't think the Lord wants there. 
Maybe you can't remember the last time you went to the Lord in prayer and actually released somebody and released the punishment you're carrying around for their sin. Jesus said, do it quickly. Or you'll wind, you'll wind up in a prison where that's not hardly a possibility for you and it takes major surgery to get there. It's really costly to forgive. It really is. It's, it's really risky and costly to go have reconciling conversations. Jesus just wants us to know it's also extremely costly to not do those things. You can either decide, I'm going to hang this here so that he can pay, or you can decide, you know what? I guess I'll pay whatever risk there is, and I'll forgive. You have heard it said, Jesus said, you shall not murder. And you thought anyone who murdered would be the one subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister is subject to judgment. Anyone who even says, you fool, who insults a brother is in danger of the fires of hell. Go and be reconciled to your brother or sister. Do it quickly or your adversary may hand you over to the judge. The judge may hand you over to the officer. You might be thrown in prison and it is really hard to get out of that dungeon. So let me ask you, how is your heart in this area? How, how many people do you have when their names are mentioned? You don't make me get out the Chase County phone book and start reading names to test this. Is there bitterness in there? Is there hatred in there if you are honest? That's your prison. You've already been turned over. Your enemy, the accuser, say, hey, God, you said that people who follow Jesus, if they don't forgive like you forgave, there'd be consequences. And there will be. Praise God, not eternal ones. It's like Jesus baked you a cake with a file in it. If you remember an old bank robber movie. He baked you a cake with a file in it to get out of prison. That file is forgiveness. And, and, and reconciling conversations. And I believe forgiveness must come first, or when you go talk to someone, you'll still be about punishment. When's the last time you forgave someone? Like in prayer. You know what that means? Going to God and saying, God, David, here's what he did, and here's the punishment I'm carrying around for him. I release him from the, from the guilt and the punishment he deserves. And will you take away his punishment that I've been carrying around in my heart? Will you take that out of my heart? When's the last time you did that? Then when's the last time after you did that, you went to somebody and sat down and said, I love you, but there's distance here. There's a wedge here. There's death seeping in here. And I know there are... There are unsafe people. There are people who you cannot restore with. Hang on about a few dozen chapters or a dozen chapters and we'll, we'll get to that sermon too. But he cares about your heart and the way out of prison is forgiveness.
We're going to do something different as we close here today. Our musicians are going to come up while I pray real quickly. And then there's going to be a prayer of forgiveness on the screen. Oops, oh, go one more, Sam, for me. They're going to sing the last song. I'm going to give you a chance to sit down, sit there and do some business. As I've talked about people that you chafe at when their names are mentioned, or whoever has come to your mind this morning as, as I've been, been speaking, here's what you're going to do. You're going to sit there and say, Lord, I choose, to, I'm going to use David as my example again. Lord, I choose to forgive David for what he did. I give up my right to carry around David's punishment in my heart. I release him from his guilt. I ask you, Lord Jesus, to take back for yourself that part of my heart that I had given over to anger and bitterness and hatred. And I yield that part of my heart to your control. Do you know why Jesus cares about this? It's not because if you don't start doing this, God is going to get you and you're going to go to hell when you die. It's because he wants your heart. Because if he doesn't have your heart, he won't have your behavior. And he wants to use you to influence other people to come and know him and know the freedom that's only found in Christ. And if he doesn't have your heart... He can't influence the person he wants influenced. So he wants to let you out. He wants you out of the prison you are in so that you are free to let him have your heart. Father God, I just want to pray for our time now as they sing our last song. I just pray that you would help us to be forgivers. And then after we have someone forgiven, if there is someone we need to go and have a a conversation with because they have something against us or we have something against them. And we want that wedge of death removed from our relationship. God, if they won't do it, let that be their prison sentence, Lord. You have opened the eyes of my heart. And you've shown me the seeds of murder inside As we come to forgive others the way you forgave us, I pray you would weed out those seeds from the soil of our heart that you might have more of my heart when I leave here than when I came. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Most of us, I think, understand our need for Jesus. But those things that he talked to us about today keep him from having control where we need him most. I'm going to be praying for you this week that you can be a forgiver, a reconciler. You can build new habits there. Some of you are going to have to dig through with this prayer for dozens of people. But I'm praying that Jesus will get control of what maybe what used to have been an acid-filled heart. And I pray he would do great things through a heart that really is his.
Lord Jesus, thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for showing us that uh, you care about the condition of our hearts because that's where you want to reign. And as we talked about anger and, and bitterness and, and wrath and jealousy and envy and all those seeds of murder, Lord, resentment. Pray to help us to weed those things out of our hearts and yield our hearts to your control. Help us to do the hard work it takes to get there. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. See you next week.